Today we are continuing in our sermon series of Journeying with Jesus. And, um, and, and as we journey, we're, we're, we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus, his teachings, the example that he leaves for us, some of the amazing moments throughout the gospel as we read it. And, um, and, and we do this very intentionally because we, we want to develop a healthy and a strong Christology to understand fully who Jesus is, what he came to do, what he was teaching. Because when we begin to fully understand the fullness of who Jesus is, it's like any relationship. The more I get to know somebody, the deeper that relationship goes, the closer we get. And so, in the same way, we, we, we know Jesus is Savior. We've accepted Jesus into our hearts, and, and we thank Jesus for, for forgiving our sins. But if that's all we know of Jesus, then we miss so much, because Jesus has come to be more than Savior. He's come to be Messiah and Lord, and, and as we... As we delve into all this, this journey that we're taking with Jesus, my prayer is that the deeper you know him, the deeper the relationship that you have with our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And so, today, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open it. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, 6. And seven, because <laughs> that's where we find the Sermon on the Mount. Undoubtedly, arguably, the greatest sermon ever preached. I remember um, watching online um, during COVID when uh, Pastor Russ Martin was the interim pastor here. And, and he preached the Sermon on the Mount word for word by memory. I was so moved and impressed by that, and um, and I thought, wow, that, 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 I don't know if I could do that, but him doing that was was amazing. Now I, I knew I, I don't know if I can do that because I know my limitations, and part of my limitation is that I, I'm not going to stand here and preach for the next four hours preaching on the entire Sermon on the Mount because I know your limitations, right? <laughs> the mind can only absorb as much as the seat can endure, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna force you to, to sit through all of that. There are, there are three chapters that, that's covered here with 19 different headings, and each heading is a sermon series in and of itself, and, and we could take the next year looking at the Sermon on the Mount and, and still maybe not get through it. But today, we're just going to spend the day here, all right? I'm, 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 I'm not going to give it the full treatment, but we're going to treat it well. Reminds me of a, a story in seminary that I came that, that that I came across, where two students were were in a deep discussion. They were talking, and, and they just couldn't come to an agreement on this issue of, of preaching. Right? Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and 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 they were the thing that they were just couldn't agree upon was the amount of points that you need to make in a sermon. During that time when I was in seminary, they were really touting narrative preaching and telling stories. And so how do you, how do you get points into... And so they were just going back and forth. And the seminary professor walked by and they stopped. Hey, prof, we, we can't figure this out, you know. We, we want to know 
how many points should a, a sermon have? And the seminary professor looked at the two students and he says, I know you. I've heard you preach before. You should have at least one. <laughs> so, by the way, I wasn't in that conversation. <laughs> and so, um, today, uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you three things. And what I'd like to give you, I believe, will help us wrap our, our minds and even our hearts around the Sermon on the Mount. So the first thing I want to give you is I'm going to give you a deep dive into the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Right? I believe that if you understand the context of the Sermon on the Mount, it will be more than this familiar passage that we read. And because it's so familiar to us, sometimes familiarity doesn't allow for the Spirit of God to speak deeply into our lives because we read it so often. And my prayer is that we can move past the familiarity of this beautiful passages to allow God to speak deeply into us. So I'm going to give you a deep dive into context. second thing I want to give you is homework, right? Because we're not going to cover the entire, all the content of it. And so that's your homework for, for this week and maybe even further, however long it takes for you. I want you to use the Sermon on the Mount as your devotion time, okay? So you all have smartphones, I know. And I'm going to show you something really cool that if you haven't done yet, to download the YouVersion Bible app, on your phone, because you can access the sermon notes uh, on this sermon today. And every Sunday, you can access it by going to the YouVersion Bible app, um, go to the, the three lines off to the side, hit the live event events, find Mission Church, and you'll find it there. But what I wanted to show you also was that on this YouVersion Bible app, you can have the Bible read to you, Right? And so that's one of the things I want you to do as part of your homework, to listen to this sermon. And so when I'm right here at Matthew chapter 5, and then there's a button at the bottom with a little arrow. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now I was going to move my mouth there and make this like a ventriloquism thing, but no. Um, so p- part of your homework is to listen to this sermon preached, right, or, or, or read anyway. And then the second thing is, th- that'll take you today. Just do that today sometime, okay? And then go back during the week and read it. Read it for yourself. And after you get done reading it, and you can read it all in one sitting or read it a little bit at a time, what you don't understand or what's speaking to you, spend some moments there to study it. Get a Bible with some notes Read about it, okay? You hear it, you read it, you begin to study it, and then when you come across passages that just, oh, move you and touch you in your heart, memorize those passages. We teach our children in Sunday school what they're learning right now. They have to memorize scripture when they're children. You all get off so easy (laughs) as adults. Nobody asks you to memorize what we are now, right? So, Take the opportunity to memorize 
passages of Scripture, those that mean the most to you. And then, as you have listened to it, you've read it, you've studied it, you've memorized it, then apply it into your lives. Live into it. And that's your homework, okay? That should be your homework every day. But just focus in on the Sermon on the Mount as we delve deeply into this sermon. So, I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to give you context today. I'm going to get a deep dive in the context. I'm giving you homework, right? Say amen if you're going to do the homework. Okay. I'm going to spend a little more time here now. Please, join, join the whole church. Let's do this together. The third thing I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one point in my sermon today. Because <laughs> the seminary professor said, you should have at least one point. And I'm going to end my sermon with making just one point today. All right? So, are you guys ready for some context? This is good stuff right here. Context is so important. Because context helps us to understand fully the passage that we have in front of us. And in the context today, we're going to answer some good questions. Who wrote this? When was it written? Where was it written? What is this passage uh, uh, doing? And then we're going to answer the why. Okay? This is all context questions. And, um, and when we understand all of that, the Sermon on the Mount, I believe, will come alive to you in a way maybe like you've never heard it before. So the who. Who is, who is speaking here? Who's the author? Who were the original audience for the Gospel of Matthew? And, and who was there when Jesus was teaching this? So we already answered one question, right? Who was the speaker? Jesus. Pretty easy. And if you have a red letter Bible, everything you see in, with red letters is meant Jesus spoke it, right? So you all know that. So when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, 95%, 99% of it is all red. This is Jesus speaking, right? So the who is speaking, obviously, is Jesus. And, um, and then, uh, who wrote it? Well, this is the Gospel of Matthew. So we know Matthew is the author of the gospel. Pretty two simple things right off the bat, right? Who was speaking? Jesus. And who wrote it? Matthew wrote it. Now, who's the audience? That's a really good question. The audience for the gospel of Matthew were the Jews, right? And, and, and we know this um, because some of the context that's here is so unique that when Matthew explains it, Jewish people go, yeah, I know that. But if you were not from the Jewish culture, you'd look into this passage and you go, oh, what, what is he talking about? Right? And, and we'll look at that. This is the, the Sermon on the Mount is a great example of that. And I'll, and I'll, sh- I'll share with you the contrast right now. The Sermon on the Mount is found in another gospel as well, in the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke was not written for Jews. Luke was written for Gentiles. So in Luke chapter 6, you find the, the Sermon on the Mount, and how Luke describes the Sermon on the Mount is very different from how Matthew does. You will find in Matthew a, a phrase that's repeated again and again and again. And that phrase is, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Okay? 
Matthew says that because Matthew's audience is very familiar with the Torah, the law. And Matthew says, well, you've heard it said in the Torah, but Jesus says, now I tell you. That's important to know because he's speaking to people that know it. Over here in the Gospel of Luke, Luke doesn't say, you have heard it said. You know why? Because nobody has heard it said that. They're not Jews. They're Gentiles. And so he brings this gospel, this this passage, this sermon, in a much different way so that people who are not Jews can understand it. Okay? So there's some context right there. Who is so important? Now, um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, tells us who was there. The passage is right up here. I'll read it for you. It says, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So, right away, we know who was there. It was Jesus with his disciples and a large crowd of people that gathered around as Jesus went up to the mountainside. All right? So, One more. One more who. The final who is you, the audience today. We're a part of this as well, too. Okay? So that answers the the question of of who, which is important. Then we move to the, the, uh, the, the when. When did this take place? And we know that this took place early in Jesus' ministry. And we know this partly because it comes early on in the Gospel of Matthew, right? And Matthew chapter 5. But when you just take your Bible and flip back one page, you find Matthew chapter 4. And I preached on Matthew chapter 4 about two weeks ago as we began talking about the Daniel fast and, and Jesus fasting. Jesus spent 40 days in the desert fasting. And, and, and we know that story. And, and when Jesus was done with his fast, that's the first half of Matthew chapter 4, The second half of Matthew chapter 4 is Jesus beginning his ministry. So we believe that the fast was in preparation for the start of Jesus' ministry. And so as you read the second half of Matthew chapter 4, this is the context that we have. Jesus begins his ministry by doing three things. He begins to preach, he begins to heal, and he begins to call his disciples to him. And as Jesus begins to preach, he preaches like no other. He begins to heal. He does these amazing miracles. And then he begins to call disciples to him. And the word gets out. And you know what? The end of Matthew chapter 4, right? Matthew chapter 4, verse 25. Um, It ends this way. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan followed him. So Jesus begins his ministry. It's dynamic. And they didn't have the internet or cable TV back then. So when the prophet comes to town, wow, right? That's the big thing. And the large crowds begin to follow Jesus. It ends in chapter 4. Chapter 5 begins. You flip the page. And we see the large crowds following Jesus. You see it? It ends with the large crowds following him. And then in chapter 5, This large crowd follows Jesus up the mountain with his disciples. This large crowd that was with Jesus listened to Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. 
They heard it all. And you know what? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, this is the response of the large crowd hearing Jesus preach and teach. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, this is what it says. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. He, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. By the way, this was the first Yelp review in the New Testament. <laughs> they loved it. They heard it, right? And, uh, and they said, this is good. This teacher is different. He's amazing. And, and then as a result, the crowds began to grow. So this is, this is the, the, the who and the when. Who? We talked about that. When early on in Jesus' ministries, large crowds are starting to gather. Okay. Where? Oh, this is so good. The where. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we just don't think of context much. We just read it for what's there, right? But when we understand context, even the where is so important. Where was Jesus? He was up on a mountain with his disciples and this large crowd of people. And the reason why this is important and the where is important is because there's a biblical pattern that happens that if we're not aware of, aware, where, if we're not aware of, we miss so easily the significance of what's going on here. And here's what we know about the where. Jesus being on top of a mountain. And whenever you come across people on top of a mountain, you often find God speaking to people on mountaintops. But more than just speaking to people, you know what you find? Is God giving instructions to people who are on the mountaintop. And the instructions are for living in right relationship with God, with each other, and with the rest of the world so that the relationships that we have with God, with one another, and with the world can thrive. There's a biblical pattern of this happening in the Bible. In the Old Testament, where was Moses when he received the Torah? from God. He was on Mount Sinai where God gave him instructions, biblical instructions, holy instructions of of the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us and how we ought to treat one another and in turn that ripples out into the world so that the people of God are set apart for for the God's use to impact the entire world because we now have God's Torah, His law, the commands that He's given us on how we ought to live our lives in relationship with Him and with other, with each other so that when people look onto the people of God, they say, oh my, these people are different. They're amazing. The response of the crowd to Jesus is what the response of the world needs to be when they peer into the church and see the people of God living in holy relationship to Him 
and one another. That's how important the where is. Because in the Old Testament, Moses goes up to the mountain and receives this, this Torah, this law. In the New Testament, Jesus goes up to the mountain. God in the flesh gives this beautiful teaching of how we need to be in relationship with God, with each other, to impact this world so that we can thrive in the relationships that we have. Oh, if, if it was not for the understanding of the, the where and why, this, you can read past this and, and, and not notice it at all. But as you know this now, Whenever you crack open your Bible and you begin to read and you come to the place where you read so-and-so was on a mountain, pay attention. God will be speaking about how we can live in relationship with Him, with each other, and how that impacts our world. And so, that's the where. He's on a mountain. Now, the what and then the why. Okay, here's the what. What is Jesus doing here? Really simple. He's preaching. Okay? <laughs> He's teaching because that's what God does on the mountain to people. And then we get to the why. Oh, this here, I got to tell you, as I was preparing for understanding the full context of this, this this was so important for me. The, this why, why is Jesus doing this, comes early on in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins with the Beatitudes. And then he does a short teaching on salt and light. And then this comes. Verse 17 to 20. Hear the word of the Lord today. This is the why. Jesus says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called the greatest, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whew! How does this make you feel? Anybody feel warm and fuzzy? You feel comforted by this? Does this give you hope? Or, like me, you, you, you kind of get a little nervous when you read something like this. Let's look at verse 20 one more time. I tell you, this is what Jesus says. It's read in your Bible. It's his words. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. You know, 
This is why we cannot allow Scripture to get so familiar that we glance over it without a second thought. The Sermon on the Mount should make us sit up and pay attention to what Jesus is teaching us and what he's preaching on the mountain. Jesus says, I'm not doing away with the law, right? I'm not doing away with the Torah. Instead, I'm coming to fulfill it. And the Torah, just so you know, is not the the Ten Commandments that was just given on Mount Sinai. (laughs) If you continue to read on through Deuteronomy and Leviticus, there's 613 laws that are given. See, Jesus came to fulfill the law. That's the why. And let's talk about how Jesus does that now. Okay? Let's talk about Jesus and how he does that. To understand the context fully, we have to go back to when God gave the Torah to Moses. Right? We have to understand, because, because these two events in the Bible, the giving of the Ten Commandments and Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, they're connected. They're tied together in so many beautiful ways. They parallel one another. And, and so I'm going to have you jog your memory. And, and part of your homework is you can do some research on this. As you read the Old Testament story of God's people, Moses was set apart by God to go to Egypt. And his role was to lead people out of bondage and slavery that they have been in for 400 years. The people of God were enslaved in Egypt. And as Moses leads them out of Egypt, they finally end up on a mountain, Mount Sinai, where God gives Moses the Torah from God. Right? And at that point, God sets his people apart. This is my people living out my Torah, my law, so that they can thrive in my relationship with them and their relationship with one another. And this will impact the world. This was God's plan when God brought the people out of slavery and bondage for 400 years, taking them up to the mountain. He gives them this plan so that their relationship can thrive with God and with one another. And the world will be impacted. The Torah was given to reconcile people back into a relationship with Him. Church, this was a good plan. But unfortunately, (laughs) because of the people, the plan did not come to fulfillment. Right? You know the story. After Moses gets the tablets from God, he descends from the mountain, and what does he see the people of God already doing? breaking relationship with God. And, and you, you've heard this before, right? The sequence by which God gives the Ten Commandments is important. He gives the most important ones 
first. You shall have no other gods before me. And don't build any idols for yourselves. <laughs> the first two commands. Moses comes down from the mountain. And what did the people do? They put another god up. Puts up an idol. And it was, they started off on the wrong foot from the very beginning and things didn't get any better along the way, right? Things just continued to spiral downhill. Oh. But here's the heart of God. God's compassion for His people is so great that He does not just wipe them off the planet, which He could have so easily. He could have been so disappointed and frustrated that He could have said, Enough! And they would be gone. But instead, God continues this ministry of reconciliation with His people and He, he gives them priests. And these priests... They, they say, come, make a sacrifice, and, and let's reconcile us, ourselves back with God. And then God gives these prophets who get God, gets God's word and speaks to the people. Thus saith the Lord, return back into the right plan that God gave us. Follow the Torah. Let's thrive in our relationship with God because that's God's heart and that's God's desire. But instead, the people did their own thing, their own way. Sounds like where we're at today. People doing their own things, their own way, thinking that they are God. And they are not. And so God does the unthinkable to show us the depth of His love. What does He do? He sends His own Son to redeem and reconcile people back into the right relationship with Him. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. You see, you know what I believe? I believe that the Torah that God gave in Exodus, the law, <laughs> was not meant to condemn the world. It was meant to save the world. To bring people into the right relationship with God and with each other and thrive in that relationship so that everybody looking in would say, wow, these people are set apart and God, their God is helping them thrive. Look at them. That's what it should have been from the very beginning. And when it didn't happen, the depth of God's love remained. And so he sends Jesus. And Jesus continues this same ministry, this same message he goes up on top of a mountain, shares the same heart of love, saying, I'm not here to, to, to get rid of the Torah, uh, to abolish it. I'm here to fulfill it. 
I'm here to live into it, to make it everything that God would have it to be. Jesus came in much the same way Moses came, to free people. Not from bondage to slavery or even the oppression of Rome. Jesus came to save and free people from their slavery to sin. To thrive in their relationship with God and be an example of people that are set apart for God in this world. Then, to share this amazing news of the depth of God's love that he has for his own people with the world. Oh. So that we can all be reconciled back to God. This is the why. To fulfill the law. Jesus already told us that's what he came to do. Now, <laughs> one more thing we have to understand is that the depth of what Jesus meant when he said, I'm here to fulfill the law. Right? Let's, understand, let's, let's look at what that means. Jesus' desire is to accomplish the plan that God set in place when he gave his Torah. But for us to thrive in relationship, we cannot just follow the letter of the law. We have to know the heart of the law. Because even Jesus, as he's sharing the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you, over and over again, he says, you can follow the letter of the law and completely miss it. Because if you just follow the letter of the law, the relationships that matter will not be impacted at all. And we see this so easily. Because when we contrast how the people fulfilled the law and what Jesus said that we should do, there's a huge difference between following the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Very, very familiar verse. This is maybe a memory verse for you because it's so short. Exodus 20, 13 says, you shall not commit murder. <laughs> Just like last week we looked at that very short verse, uh, John, was it John 16, 25 or something like that? Jesus wept, Right? This is another short one. You shall not commit murder. We can all memorize this passage of Scripture. And that was given. And you know what we can all do? We can all say, check, right? I obeyed the, the letter of the law. Today, and never in my life have I ever murdered anybody. I'm good. But my relationships with others, man, they're sour. And I struggle in them. And what does Jesus say to us to understand what God was trying to get at when he said, you shall not murder? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, and here, because they're Jews, and this is who, it was written for Jews, right? You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Oh, we've all heard that. And then Jesus says this, And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And then Jesus says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to that judgment. Anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, 
That means empty. That means missing. If I say raka, I'm saying to you, you're empty. You're nothing. You're not even in existence. Right? You're a fool. And then he says that. Is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fires of hell. Again, that should shake the foundation of our faith. It's so easy to read this in a shallow way and so familiar that, that it's flippant. But this is deep. And it all comes back to not just checking the box that says, I haven't murdered anyone, I'm good. To the spirit of the law that calls us to thrive in the relationships that we have with one another and with God. That's the spirit of it all. And when you read this while you do your homework, you will see again and again the depth of what Jesus was trying to do and teach people. That you can't just obey the letter of the law and think you're God. The spirit of the law and what God wants to do is to have your relationships thrive with Him and with one another so that the world will see that this group of people that are set apart in God's name is different like no other and their God blesses them. I want to be that. And then we reconcile the world back to the Lord. comes back to thriving relationships, which, by the way, is the mission of our church. If you have your bulletins, hold it up. You see the three circles in the very front? We put it right there at the very beginning so nobody has to guess. What is this church about? This church is about trying, with God's help, to authentically love God, humbly serve one another, and intentionally share Christ. Doesn't that sound like what is happening right here? We can keep the letter of the law and fail in our relationships. We can say that we didn't murder or commit adultery or steal or lie or build an idol. We can say we never did any of those things. But we can still fall short in the thriving relationships that God desires for us. So, as you do your homework this week, listen to the Sermon on the Mount preached to you. Just press play and listen. And when you listen, and when you listen, picture yourself up on a mountain or a hill, sitting next to, pick your favorite disciple, Simon Peter, (laughs) John, sitting next to one of them, as a part of the crowd, listening to Jesus as he teaches you. Picture, do that as a part of your homework assignment. That's pretty easy. And after you have listened to it, as if Jesus was there, and you were there, and you're listening to him, read it for yourself. And then, either what you don't understand or what you want to learn deeper, take time to study it. Do it with the family. Have family devotions. Ask one another, what did Jesus mean? When he said, you are the salt of the earth. What, what does that mean? We're salt? What did, what did he mean? You are the light of the world. 
and have some discussion on it. Study it together. And then, when you find a verse, you're like, oh, that is God. Memorize it. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then, apply it into your life. Because that's the heart of why Jesus preached this message. Not so we can know it and understand it, but so that we can live it. So, I've given you context. I've given you homework. And I'm going to give you the last thing, the one point that I want you to take away with today. I really don't need to make the one point because Jesus makes the point for me at the end. He didn't do it for me, but he did it for all of us. And here's the point. Matthew, tw- Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew against that house. Yet... It did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great What's the point? Hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice. And more importantly, build the foundation of your life on this word. That's the point, right? Jesus makes it really clear. All I get to do is reiterate that point to all of you. Something we all already knew that we should be doing. But in light of the context and in light of what Jesus says, maybe today there's a renewed understanding of what all that Jesus was saying here in the Sermon on the Mount. And maybe as we look at what Jesus is saying, we can take all that we have, we're learning, put that into our lives, and build our life on the Word of God. That's what we need to do. Last week, <laughs> last week, we looked at John chapter 2. And in John chapter 2, Mary, the mother of Jesus, taught this to us in much the same way. I ended my sermon last week with this very same point. Last week, in John chapter 2, Mary said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. (laughs) Right? Fill the water pots. Just do whatever he tells you. Open up. Listen. Read. Study. Memorize. Apply. And do what Jesus tells you to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And thank you, Jesus, for being the fulfillment of the law. The law, Lord God, that you gave to your people. So that your relationship with them 
would grow and thrive. And our relationship with each other would do the same. Thank you for setting us apart, Lord God, so that we can be your people and you can be our God. And Lord God, I, I believe with all my heart that when Moses came down from the mountain, if the people were waiting in anticipation, instead of trying to do their own thing, Father in heaven, your favor would rain down on them and, and they would be fulfilled in, in, in their relationship with you. They would thrive in that. And that's what I believe today. That when the church, when your people can find ourselves sitting at the feet of Jesus on the mountain, taking in every single word, knowing that it all applies to me, every single one of it, what you're saying speaks deeply into our hearts because we want to live into the spirit of what you're teaching and build our life on that foundation so that when the storms of life comes, our foundation will be secure in you. Oh, Jesus, let us obey you joyfully with all our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name.